Hello and welcome to Queering Desi. I'm your host, Priya. As a South Asian queer non-binary person, I have learned a lot on my journey of self-acceptance and building community. So in each episode, I will bring you a slice of South Asian LGBTQ life with a guest who exemplifies what it means to be who you are and to live your truth. I like to create a safe and open discussion with our guests and listeners. So if the topics on this podcast are controversial, please know these opinions are of the guest and host, and we don't mean any offense. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to a brand new episode of Queering Daisy. So everyone knows MasterChef, right? But did you know that there's a MasterChef India too? Well, today we're really excited to bring you a conversation with Dinesh Patel, one of the finalists from season five of MasterChef India. On this episode, we talked to Dinesh about his earliest cooking memories, how he ended up on the show, and of course, what it's been like to be out in his communities, including challenging stereotypes and the undue pressure on coming out. It was a really great conversation, and we hope that you enjoy it too. Before we get to the conversation, I wanted to let you all know that we'll also be having a very special Q&A with Dinesh live on our Instagram, at QueeringDesi, this Sunday, April 12th, at 11 a.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. British time, and 8.30 p.m. in India. So without much further ado, here's Dinesh. This week on Querying Desi, I'm very excited to talk to Dinesh Patel, who some of you may know from MasterChef India. Dinesh, welcome to Querying Desi. Thank you very, very much for having me, Bria. I'm so um, honored to be here. I didn't think that the MasterChef reach would be so far that you'd call me on Querying Desi. So thank you. I really appreciate it. <laughs> of course. I mentioned MasterChef, but for folks that may not know you, can you just do a, a brief intro of yourself and your pronouns? Yeah, sure. Um, my name's Dinesh Patel. I'm born and brought up in the UK, in Bolton. Um, I'm a pastry chef and a bit of a chef. I did MasterChef India season five and I was a finalist. I run a patisserie company here in London as well and throughout the UK. And by sort of virtue of studying, I'm a lawyer as well. Oh my God, that's not enough things. <laughs> <laughs> I resonated with you on MasterChef India in so many ways, but I would love to start with your journey with cooking and with with pastries and, and baking. How did you discover your love for food and for cooking? Like, do you have, a you know, an early memory or early influences? If I think back, and I really have to think back as far back, it would probably be baking cakes. And that started off with my cousins, very oddly. We used to bake cakes as just like a thing to do. My cousins are much elder to me. So I think when you've got um, a little cousin running around, it's just something to occupy the time. So we used to do the basics, you know, kind of make cupcakes, um, cream the butter and sugar, add your eggs, that kind of thing. But what we'd produce was something that was really tasty and you've made it yourself and my grandmother actually used to get really enthused by homemade cakes and seeing her reaction to that and kind of being a part of the making procedure is what sparked my love for cooking originally and I think that's what's made me go down the entire route of becoming a pastry chef and cakes because it kind of just makes people happy Mm. in the grand scheme of things you know. 
Yeah, of course. And I think even culturally, right? Like, I think um, on this show, we've had such a, like a great number of, of chefs and bakers. I think there's something to be said about culturally this being really important to us to spend time in the kitchen as a family, you know, generational recipes that get handed down. There just seems like to be such a cultural presence there as well. Definitely. I really do think so, because I think food is something that connects all of us, regardless of caste, creed, culture, all of those kinds of things. And in particular with Desi communities, that passing of recipes and techniques and things is usually done from person to person. They're never usually written down. So that connection, the personal memory that you share with it, it just brings us all together in a very different way, even the familial structures that we have. Um, I think one of the recipes that was given to me was my grandmother's prawn curry, and she's never taught that to anybody else ever. And it's the one recipe that I cherish the most as well, because I remember the day that she taught me that, the tips and the tricks, told me not to tell anybody else how, you know, the see auntie style, don't <laughs> tell anybody how I make it. Um, but I always took it on board and that connection is something that's really important with food, really. Yeah, absolutely. Did you write that recipe down now? <laughs> I haven't actually, just okay. because she told me not to, because yeah. you know how like this mentality, don't tell the next door auntie how yeah. I make my prawns, otherwise she'll learn. But it, it's something that I'll teach to my kids for sure. And it's one of my signatures now, to be very honest. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I wonder about that, right? Like just in the cultural aspect as well, how it plays in with with gender roles and gender identity sometimes as well. Because like, for example, my mom is an amazing cook, as as most Nasi moms are, right? And and yeah. she has all these recipes that she learned from her mom that was just as you said, like something that you just learned by watching or by telling and not really written mm. down. And I, growing up, was expected to spend a lot of time in the kitchen, but I was always like tomboyish and like didn't really like to. And so I never got those recipes. And so yeah. part of me is always worried that like that family history is like going to die with me now because I never <laughs> like learned those things. But I was also expected to, right? As like a daughter, it was like I should be learning. Like she tried to teach me and not mm. like my brother. Did you find any kind of like cultural messages around you being in the kitchen or like, was that encouraged? I think I definitely did feel this in, in a way. I think when I was young and like I said, I used to make cupcakes and little things here and there. It was kind of just kind of like a playing around um, kind of role play scenario. And when you're a child, these kind of gender roles aren't really put on you so much. My grandmother, my family were always just very supportive of whatever I was doing. But as I got older, my tendency towards cooking, um, my father in particular kind of looked down upon it a little bit. It wasn't something that was the norm. I wasn't into like sports or I wasn't doing that kind of thing. I was kind of either reading or studying or then I was cooking. That was my outlet. Um, so in terms of that gender normative role, my father had a bit of an issue with it. I think my family kind of just saw that I was cooking, didn't really acknowledge it much, didn't take it very seriously. It was only until I actually did MasterChef and that was about, I would say maybe six years into a career of being a professional chef or a cook that they actually came turned around and said to me that, oh, wow, you can actually cook and that I made something from that. Mm. And I don't think that a role as passionately as I pursued it should be considered anything less or not taken seriously until then, up until you do something really serious with it, like MasterChef. I think that's something that I noticed that until and unless it's something grand, um, these gender normative roles are not taken seriously or then unless you really break the boundaries. And I don't think that that's right, really. Now they're completely supportive, but at the time yeah. they weren't at all. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a valid point. And I also think of like just for our culture, right? And you can speak to this from a UK's perspective, but for diaspora folks that have left Mm -hmm. South Asia, there's a tendency to want to assimilate or ascend. And even, of course, in South Asia, there's this tendency of like doctors, engineers. But I think for diaspora folks or immigrant folks, there tends to be this thing of like, here's what's going to bring you stability in a country that is new to us or new to our family. Mm -hmm. And my parents fell into that as they came over with their educational backgrounds and they tried to build a life for us, right? It was always this sense of, you know, these are the careers that are are most stable or most likely to get you to the next step that we couldn't get to. And like, I wanted to go into psychology in college and it was like, we don't know what that is. Like, we didn't think of that. They didn't think that that was like a legit career path or subject area. And so this idea of like reaching a milestone to prove its worth also, I think, comes from like this almost immigrant fear of like, is this really a thing? Because like I've then pivoted to journalism. I never thought journalism could be a career and neither did they, right? Until I hit a certain success point in my life, right? So I think there's something to be said about that cultural part as well. No, I think I 100% agree with that. I think as I was obviously introducing myself, by virtue of studying, I am a lawyer. So the reason I went down that path is because obviously it ticks one of the boxes, right? That those, Mm -hmm. those roles, those occupations that you're supposed to go into, I did it mainly because I knew that my family would be happy if I did that. Um, And in terms of the big kind of checking the tick box kind of thing, it fell into one of those categories. So either doctor, lawyer, engineer, accountant, and it, it ticked that box. So I did it. I don't feel the need that we should have to justify ourselves so much. I, I don't think that in terms of the newer generation, we're kind of pursuing all different tangents and things like that. In terms of kind of the viewpoint, I feel like the diaspora now are still far more backwards than even India almost can be when it comes to these kind of occupational roles. They're so stuck in those ways that you need to do one of these careers that they don't legitimately give importance to these roles that we've chosen, which are absolutely booming careers now. I mean, there's huge celebrity chefs out there and huge journalists and psychologists and all of those kinds of things, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it also, it's something that has come up actually a couple of times. And I I wonder about your thoughts on this too, but like, why is that? I think for, for diaspora folks holding on to like this when they left their homelands, like they hold on to that idea maybe, or like, I often think about why that struggle occurs or why it almost feels even more regressive in some ways than the lands that they left, you know? I think to me, it's an element of fear and protection. I think that you can't deny that every parent or every elder in your life always kind of wants the best for you or wants you to be the most secure or wants you to have those things that they didn't have. So it comes from an element of love. But the fear of coming into a new country that they're experiencing is a fear that I don't think can necessarily leave you. So that ingrained tendency to push your children towards what you think is the best always has and always will remain. I think maybe Maybe in our generations now, it will tend to die out because we've assimilated, we've experienced, traveled, we've seen all these different career permutations and made different choices. But we also didn't go through maybe the struggle of coming over and settling and moving and the fear that that's associated with that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, then talk a little bit about also 
this staying in touch with, you know, the homeland. Because I, I think for you, what was interesting for me is that you coming from the UK to a show like MasterChef India, right? Like, I'm always amazed when me and my wife watch a lot of uh, Indian television. So we watch like <laughs> these singing shows and dancing shows. And so every so often you'll see people from like the US or from the UK come in. So I think it kind of makes it even more meaningful for me as a diaspora watcher. But talk about your connection with the homeland and then kind of how that took you to MasterChef India. I think um, we would get along very well in terms of our TV choices because I'm a total <laughs> Sony TV star plus yes. TV baby. Um, I mean, I think by the age of about nine or 10, I could recite to you the exact show timings of every <laughs> serial and I planned my life around it. So for me, um, <laughs> India, that connection, Bollywood, these um, dramas, all of that kind of thing is something that I've grown up on and not even something that was forced on me by like my mother. I full-on loved it like it was my mm. thing so I've always had that huge connect to my culture the language uh, the clothing the songs all of that kind of thing I would say even more so than my family I think our culture naturally in terms of our rituals religions things like that just tends to be that little bit more flamboyant so if I think for an LGBTQI person when you kind of look at our culture, you kind of become engrossed and in awe of it anyway. So I naturally went towards it and had a huge connection with it. As I grew older, um, that kind of just grew and grew and grew. And at a point, I think when I was about sort of 17, 18, it really felt like something was missing when it came to my culture. I didn't really have so many Asian friends and I could only access my culture through kind of the movies that I watched or reading or talking about it with different odd people here and there, but I, it really felt like something was missing. And then when I graduated from university and I'd made quite a lot of friends from back home, I kind of gravitated more and more towards the country. And then this opportunity just sprung on me. So I actually got the chance to go there myself, experience it on my own, travel the country, see different parts of it. And literally it felt like a piece that was missing had finally been fulfilled mm. I mean even when I go back now I go back really really often I'm there literally every six weeks six to eight weeks when I get to Bombay or I get to part of Gujarat or any part of India I just feel like home again in the same way as it would be me driving into my family house back here in Bolton it feels exactly the same to me so that for me is what I gained the most out of MasterChef, that contentment of actually finding um, the route that I was looking for for so long. And that too, in my own way, it wasn't something that I went with my parents and found or I experienced India for myself. And that's what I loved about it. That's beautiful. I mean, I think that's such a narrative we don't hear about in the diaspora very often. I mean, I relate to it a lot as well, as you can tell probably by my TV choices. But <laughs> I think it's something that like, it was so like hammered into me growing up that like my parents spoke Hindi and Punjabi at home. We watched, you know, movies. That's how I learned Hindi as well. Like the culture and the the media kind of aspect of it was so ingrained. And like you're saying, like a piece of you clicks. Like I never imagined at that age that I, when I had my own partner in my own house, I would still be watching, you know, those shows or those, yeah. but it just became such a part of me that like, if I go a few days and I don't watch it, it's like, oh, I need some kind of connection or I need some kind of something. So I relate to that. And I think it's something uh, we don't often talk about because there is always this thing of like, 
a culture clash, even if we're not born there. I went back every year to when we were kids to see our, our extended family in India. But there was always this idea of like, oh, immigrants, you know, clashing with the culture, you know, wanting to be, either, you know, American or British, but also, you know, whatever they were back home. So I love hearing that there was like a sense of like something clicking or something like that was just a route for you. No, absolutely. I think you're right when you say about the culture clash. I mean, when you kind of go to India originally, it's kind of like you're the British person, so you're not really Indian. But then when I come back to the UK, I'm not really British, I'm Indian. So mm. there's always this there's kind of this uh, middle ground, I feel, or this spot where you kind of sometimes don't know where you're placed as a person, I feel. But then when I kind of went back to India myself and made my own choices and my own decisions, I found the route for myself. And I think it's finding India and your culture and your heritage for yourself that is the key difference. With a lot of parents and a lot of families that I hear about, the culture, the religion, the rituals, all of those kinds of things seem to be so enforced. And when you try and enforce something, I feel like people tend to either forcefully gravitate towards it or then rebel but it's never your own choice and um, when it's your choice it's even more ingrained and I think now if I look at myself in comparison to even all of my family my elders and the most desi person in the household I mean mm. uh, my auntie comes and asks me about the rituals done for certain religious events so that's like the sole <laughs> op- it's a completely opposite thing it would never happen um, yeah. so I think that's mainly because I made the decision to do it myself And I think that's Mm. the key. When you're yourself in tune with it, the way that you would be as well, I think you just gravitate towards it. No, absolutely. And I I wonder if that's like part of what what led to some of your success on the show. I'd love to pivot to talking about the show and what it was like being (laughs) on it. Like, how did you end up on it? How did what was the experience like? Like, tell me everything. To be honest, it was just something that I decided to do off of the cuff. Mm. I was actually on holiday in Morocco and I was just scrolling through my Instagram and emails and things. And I saw that MasterChef India auditions were happening in London this season. And they also auditioned, I think, in New York, um, Dubai, San Francisco, Mm. and also in one other place. It was quite an international show at the time. So when I got back to London, I was like, okay, let me just just go give it a go. And my friends were like, you should totally go and do it. Go try, see mm. what you think. Um, so spur of the moment, I, I made a dish up. I'm big on fusion. So I made a Indian inspired leche frita. So it's it translates to fried milk and it's a traditional Mexican dessert. So I gave that a big Indian twist and I went and I presented it and they took my interview and X, Y, Z. And then I got a call back the next day that I would go and do a mystery box challenge, you know, the classic from the show. So they gave us like a myriad of different ingredients and I went and there was about 10 of us. I did it. And after that, about two hours later, I got another call saying that, okay, you've been selected, you need to pack up your stuff and head to Bombay for six months. And I was like, okay, um, you have four <laughs> days to do this. And bear in mind that I had a business running, um, oh living God. in London, hadn't told anybody that I'd done this, not my family, not my friends. <laughs> I just kind of said, okay, and then packed up my stuff and left in four days. And that's how it all began, really. That's amazing. In terms of the experience, it's something that I will just genuinely never forget. 
it's given me so, so much in terms of um, success, in terms of exposure, in terms of getting my heritage back for me, um, food technique, experience. It's just given me so, so much. Um, I tried things and I thought on my feet and it brought another side to me that I didn't even know I had myself. I think when you're in those situations, those challenges where you don't know where you pull that energy from. It's not something that's ingrained in you in normal day-to-day life. And I think how I cook now even is completely different. I think I feel like everything's a challenge ever since then. Um, (laughs) In the kitchen, I feel like I'm looking at the clock constantly, but um, it's definitely, it's definitely changed me for the better. And it's something that will stay with me forever. I feel like I'm part of that MasterChef family, really. (laughs) I would say. What do you think was the like the best challenge or best kind of experience, like actual just like narrow experience in that maybe like your your favorite and maybe the most challenging that you can talk about? Mine definitely had to be the Children's Day cake challenge. Um, mm-hmm. I can answer in a heartbeat because I'll never forget it. <laughs> Obviously, I run a patisserie, right? So for me, mm-hmm. if you're giving me a challenge on cake, if I don't win that challenge, I need to leave. Like I cannot <laughs> stay in that <laughs> kitchen with my head held high. It's not possible. So I'm very competitive as well. I'm sure you can tell by the way that I'm speaking. <laughs> so for me, that challenge was based on a childhood suite. So we had to take inspiration from one of those and I took inspiration from chicky so it's um, just like peanut brittle right the the basic the classic the one that we all love I devised that into a cake with uh, three different sponges two different creams made it super colorful for children's day and it's a recipe that's kind of been the most asked for from me as well so many people on social media have requested it I've still not published it um, probably mm-hmm. I think because I can't remember exactly everything I did to be honest in the pressure um, but that's the most requested and memorable challenge for me like I won as well I'll never forget the comments I got and it just kind of cinched my own confidence in my baking and pastry ability because I'm very self-critical as a person. I don't necessarily think I'm the best at baking or the best at pastry. I am I see all the flaws before I see the good. So in a challenge like that, in a profession that I love, in something that I've made into a career, a business, for to get those responses to win, to, for it to go on to be the most requested, it kind of really, really hit home for me, that challenge. Rima, you're the Bonnie to my Buri. What? That sounds like something that should be on a t-shirt. It is. From Bukwas Apparel. Have you ever wished you had a brand that embraced your multicultural identity, deconstructed stigmas, and helped you pursue your passions? Oh yeah, for sure. Well, Bukwas is a brand motivated by people who are doing what makes them happy, and they understand what it means to be who you are, and what it takes to be true to yourself. Something we believe in deeply here at Queering Desi. Aww, PR. Yeah, they have that on a t-shirt too. Inspired by this generation of go-getters, innovators, disruptors, and dreamers, Bakwas wants you to join the movement and proudly wear your identity for the world to see. Check out their premium South Asian designs on their website, www.bakwasapparel.com, and use the code DP15 for an exclusive 15% discount just for you, our listeners. Join the movement. Be Bakwas. And baby, you're the pani to my puri too. (laughs) Okay, back to the show. 
Yeah, I mean, I think like watching you on the show, like seeing, I think also the growth that you're talking about, like it was something that was visible for us as well. Like we were rooting for you because of some of those challenges where it no. felt like you pulled it out of like such an innovative and creative space. And I think that for your co-contestants as well, I think it's one of the strongest seasons that I've seen because it felt like not only were you guys relatable in terms of like, these aren't like professional chefs and these are like everyday folks. It was like a younger generation as well. It was, you guys just had a good eclectic mix, but it was also so innovative to see you guys come up with that like challenge after challenge. And some of those things that you're talking about of like an homage to something that we all maybe were known, known or familiar with and then to give it some new kind of it was like oh I didn't I never I never knew that was possible that we could like make it this way or make it that way yep definitely I think like I said each challenge brought out a different aspect of you I mean um there was a challenge that we worked in kind of the mess hall of the police department their training academy and that something was completely mass catering in an unknown space dealing with Indian produce an Indian kitchen it totally pushes you to your limits and um, especially for somebody like me obviously this was the first time that I was in India on my own in these scenarios that had never Ever, ever been put in. So I think that for me is what made that experience so life-changing. Like I'm saying, it's brought a different element to my personality. I think I never thought I could do these things and it just makes you so much more confident as well. And the friends that you make along the way, Mirva and Samantha, I'm sure you remember from the show as yes. well. They're lifelong. I mean, we still keep in touch. We message all the time. I helped make Samantha's wedding cake, in fact, you know, the, those kinds oh, of things. Wow. It's it's something that we've uh, we've had those bonds and they'll never break and it really does change you. Yeah, you and Mirvan were my favorites. Mirvan, such a cutie, just like <laughs> so adorable. Like you two. I will tell I don't him. Know, like, I will tell him. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, yeah, no, it was just such an enjoyable thing. And I think for me, I'll like bring it back to like Queering Daisy and the community as well, because I think for me, when I see folks and I don't often know how they identify or whatever, I always go on social media, which I wait until I end the show. So I didn't go on your social media until <laughs> I was done watching the season. But can you talk a little bit about the community and being who you are, being part of this community, both maybe in India or in the UK? For on this show, we don't focus so much on on the act of coming out as one thing. But I think of just for you as an overall journey, because you've you've spanned, you know, multiple countries and cultures like what has it been like for you? Mm, it's an all-encompassing question, I suppose. Yeah. I think for me, I've always kind of known who I am. I'm a very headstrong person. I don't think I ever had kind of a coming out scenario per se, uh, because I never really felt the need to. I knew who I was. I live my life. I am what I am in all parameters. And I'm quite happy with that, to be very honest. And I never felt the need to kind of sit people down or have a conversation. And I think I'm very fortunate in those ways as well. In terms of the UK, I mean, if I kind of look at the LGBTQIA community here, there's a lot of kind of stereotypes that come along with it. There's a lot of kind of stereotypes within the community that are kind of enforced on you. You kind of don't fit this box or you don't fit that box. And then you have these questions in your head that actually, well, shouldn't this be the most accepting space when you kind of start getting involved in the community? I think it's an experience that kind of comes with any person that starts to become incorporated with the LGBTQ plus world. I would say so anyway. I think it's a commonality between all my friends. I was quite a chubby child, quite an introvert. I never 
used to go out that much, things like that. It was only when I got into my later teens that I started to explore myself a little bit more. So originally I had a lot of issues, I would say, with the community, the way stereotypes came about, things like that. But then once I explored my freedom, once I went to university and I went out a lot more and I met different people and things like that, I kind of realize that there's so much more to our world and there's so much more acceptance and so many movements out there that I actually wanted to start to become a part of. When I went to MasterChef, I was 21, 22 at the time. And by this point, I was very headstrong in my personality, knew who I was, that kind of thing was very strong in that way. Um, When I started getting involved in the community over there, one of the first impacts that really hit me was the fact that, wow, being from the UK, coming where I'm from, I've been afforded so much freedom and so much freedom of expression that I I think it's unreal sometimes. I think Mm. it spurred me now, having seen it more and more, being a part, seeing different elements of the community in India that I actually really feel like I need to give back, not just that I want to give back, because the level of freedom that we've been afforded growing up kind of in Western society, the fact of homosexuality being so open. I mean, I'm not sure if you've heard of a Manchester in England where there is the gay village on Canal Street, which is a very famous kind of area. We've got these kinds of places. And when I went to India, none of that's visible. And it was a complete different kind of way of looking at sexuality, I feel as well. Um, I used to meet people that used to talk about being closeted or the classic apps where nobody wants to send pictures or I used to have conversations about um, people so confused at later stages in life with their sexuality whereas at 21 I was so defined and I, I knew but I've been given all of this that's why maybe I'm so defined if I hadn't been given this freedom of expression this freedom of movement the fact of seeing areas like Canal Street and seeing the gay clubs and experiencing the community I wouldn't have ever found myself and to see that lack of expression in these people and the confusion and the inner turmoil and the mental stress that it was causing a lot of people really hit home with me to be honest. Mm. Yeah, I think it's great that you mentioned that. I think it's something we can take for granted when we don't live in in South Asia in these countries where even though India has has kind of legalized it now, that like that wasn't always the case and also culturally, right? Like the taboos and the treatment and the discrimination is all still there um and it's so deeply rooted in the cultural norms as well. So I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think it is something that we can tend to either take for granted or just not under fully understand because we're not in those situations as often. No, absolutely. I think that we really need to sometimes think and really thank the freedom of expression that we're granted in those ways. I mean, India has come on leaps and bounds. I mean, the introduction of the gay clubs, um, I'm seeing so many more drag queens out there. I'm seeing so many movements in terms of legalities and freedoms of expression. And the fact that people are really coming together now and being who they want to be is is so nice to see in that country. I just mm. want to be a part of that too in some way, in, a, in any way really. And I think for me as well, one of the things that resonates to me about queering this and also about is something to do with the fact that 
as a person, I don't feel like our sexuality is something that solely defines us. Um, I think with our community, sometimes there tends to be a tendency of stereotyping, in particular in India, that if you're a part of the LGBTQ plus community, then you're going to fall within the categories of A, entertainment, or B, beauty, or things like that. And I don't necessarily agree with those. I mean, at the end of the day, as a person, I feel that I run a successful business. I'm somebody that loves legalities and foreign affairs and things like that as well. As a person, I don't necessarily fit those stereotypes, but I'm still a part of that community. And I feel like those stereotypes, A, need to be kind of run down a little bit in our own community. We shouldn't maybe abide by those stereotypes so much or enforce them so that the rest of the world also won't stereotype us in the same way. I mean, it's fine. Those professions are wonderful. If that's your passion, follow it. Absolutely. But I don't think that's solely what we are as a community. We're such a enriched community with so many different types of people. And sometimes I feel like we're just typecast. And I think that's something that needs to kind of be moved in particular in India and also I think throughout the world. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think like that's so much um, a big part of the the mission of this platform and why I created it was not only because I felt like I didn't have South Asian queer stories to look to when I needed them the most or when I was exploring my own identities, like uh, to fulfill some kind of need that still doesn't exist to a large extent, but also this sense of what you're saying, right, of just like how it's not everything about us, right? It's something that's why I mentioned, you know, our take on coming out and stuff. And I I try not Mm -hmm. to ask direct questions about like, ooh, what did your parents say? Because that's not... (laughs) That's like where we've moved beyond that, both as a community yeah. and and for the world. I think it's necessary to kind of enforce that thing of like, hey, like there are stories where people had difficulties and there are stories where people didn't. But actually, those stories don't define us. And I was really tired of just seeing not only in the mainstream media, but like you're saying in the queer communities, just stories of, you know, what was it like to come out? Because we have full, rich lives and and part of demonstrating that for future generations and for ourselves is showing all the kinds of success and talent and wonderful life things that we are all doing, right? Like, whether it's from parenting to baking to acting to writing, like, we try to really keep a good mix of people to just share their stories and what they love to do. Because, yeah, you're South Asian and you're queer, and so you're part of this community. But I want to hear about, like, what it is that makes you tick. What do you love? You know, what kind of amazing talent and amazing people do we have within this community that we've spent so long kind of not uplifting. And so, yeah, I just I resonate with you saying that because I think that's so much of this platform and what I hope to continue to see. And I think I'm starting to see at least beyond South Asia, at least a little bit, but definitely is so vital to kind of uplift and talk about. No, absolutely. I think um, I was watching the cooking episode of the with um, the couple. I'm really sorry, I forgot their name. Um, oh, yeah, Amit and Aditya. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I was watching that and they were answering a couple of questions, I think, on whilst they were cooking. And a lot of the questions that were coming out were to do with coming out. How do I come out? When did you come mm-hmm. out? What did you do? And one of the comments that I made was the fact that why is there so much pressure on you to come out? Is it something that really, I think there was a 20 year old that asked this question. And to me, I was thinking back to myself at that age. And I was thinking that, but there's so many different questions that you have about yourself 
at that point in life. It could be what you want to study and what interests you or what career maybe you want to have or where you want to live in the world or were those questions answered before you actually got to this point? If you knew your identity, you know what you are, does it really matter if you announce that to the world as long as you're happy internally and you know what you are and you're making the choices you want to make? I think, again, we do need to come on leaps and bounds with that and maybe just identify with ourselves first before we try or feel the pressure to identify with the rest of the world what we actually are. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very valid point, and and I'm so glad you participated in that. Part of the point of the the Instagram live sessions and extension of, of this podcast is to have those conversations. And so it's interesting to see questions like that, because I think part of it for the one that you're talking about was that I think a large part of that audience was still in India, right? It was early enough yeah. in the day that we had crossed time zones. And so I think it can come from a sense of people not knowing what to do in the in the relative situation that they're in, where, no matter where where they are in the world. But I think there is still this focus, right, of like, I want to be like out and proud and loud and and who I am. And that's totally fine. You, you are totally able to do so. But I definitely think not only is it every person's journey different and no one should be you know, and I think Amit and Aditya did a really good job of like of voicing that, right? That like their yeah, story is not yeah. everyone's story. They didn't go do a deep dive into their story, right? Because it was very much yeah. like, hey, this is our experience, but yours might be different. Seeking that advice though comes from a place of like wanting that freedom, that the very freedom that you're talking about, right? And it's different for everyone and coming out can be a step in that growth of all the other things you mentioned, right? Of where do I want to live? What do I want to do? You know, I think another question in the Instagram live was like, I want to come out, so I'm going to move abroad. What do you guys think? You know, and it was this sense of like needing that validation of it's okay to like do what you need to do to be who you are. And I think that's kind of more of the broader thing rather than like, how do I sit down with my parents and tell them this thing? It's more of like, how can I like craft my life choices and become safe and build a community and chosen family around myself so that I can be who I want to be, where I want to be, and that it factors into all those things, career, uh, family, all these other things. No, absolutely. I, I do agree with you in that sense. And obviously, everybody's journey is very different. I mean, I think it's probably the fact that I'm such a headstrong person that I just kind of very luckily fell into this of being who I am and that's that. But that's obviously not the same for every person. And I can understand the validation that they seek from that one maybe coming out moment that would then permeate into all elements of their life to take those decisions further. I just hope and I just think that sometimes there should be kind of a focus on us as just people. I'm just one of those people that thinks that we're such a rich community that that sometimes gets lost. I think that's sometimes where I stand on this. Totally, totally. I absolutely agree with that. And again, just such a big part of of what we hope to do here. So I appreciate you you saying that. And to kind of go back to that and to go back to that for you, like, what are you up to now, like post MasterChef and, and now and forthcoming? Like, what have you been up to? Um, that's a very good question. Um, <laughs> I've got quite a few projects on the go at the moment. So I still um, have my patisserie company, which I have here based in the UK. So we supply your big fancy cakes throughout all um, the UK. Um, I'm also launching a Indian sweet company here in England as well called Mishtan. And that is an artisanal um, sweet company that has a complete vegan menu, a diabetic menu, a gluten-free menu. So very 
innovative, very Western, but at the same time, it's very heritage and very Indian and traditional as well. Part of that company, what we're trying to do as well is to teach the diaspora. So with all of these classic recipes, I've researched, I've learned, I've traveled, I've thought about the mythology behind them, and I've compiled little books and leaflets on each recipe in Mithai that we're going to be launching. So hopefully I'll be able to spread the culture as well as the sweetness that it imbibes. Very cliche way of putting it, to be very honest, but that's the ethos essentially. Um, These are my two main projects. Um, I'm also writing a book. Um, which is about heritage recipes and it's also to do with immigrant recipes so especially from the South Asian area so um, my family comes from India to Africa to England so there's so many different um, recipes that have formed along that route these are the recipes that I'm trying to trace and get together and collate and give my own spin on as well and so that's my other project that's going on at the moment oh my god I can't wait for all of that but definitely the book (laughs) I think it'll be so exciting that sounds wonderful I'll have to send you a parcel of Mitai um, at some point in New York for sure for sure yeah I mean side note we we just spent six months in in London actually uh, at oh, the end wow. of last year and so I, I missed making that connection with you while I was there because I would have loved to travel to see you or meet up in person but yeah we're back in New York now but definitely would love to try some of that and of course read the book whenever it does come out. Thank you. It's very, very sweet of you. I'm just, I'm still so shocked that somebody in New York is telling me that they actually watched the show. Like, I genuinely did not think <laughs> that this would have this kind of reach, that I'd be <laughs> able to have these conversations now. I just thought it was going to be kind of aunties discussing it over Jai at some point. <laughs> like, so I really appreciate your support. I really, really do. And I'm so glad that you managed to kind of identify with me because I just wanted to be me. And this kind of justifies it for me. So I really appreciate that as well. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, I think you'll be surprised when this comes out. I, I think there are many friends of mine around the world that tune into some of the the South Asian programming <laughs> that I do. And so I think many people will appreciate this uh, more than you might imagine. So I'm excited for you to see the the response once this comes out. I will move to my last question, which I ask all the guests, which is if you could give advice to your younger self, um, and that could be in any form. It could be a week ago, a month ago, 10 years ago. If you could give advice here as a younger self, what would it be? Hmm, Good question. (laughs) Um, I think it would be to not be so scared and just do it. Because I feel like if I was to go back and I flash back to me when I was about 14, 15, There were so many decisions when it came to work, studies, the paths that I wanted to take. I didn't feel like I had the self-confidence and I just thought about it and thought about it when actually I could have done it and I should have just pushed myself to do it and I should have just gone in two feet first. Um, So that would be my advice. Don't be so scared. Believe in yourself and just do it. That's a really great advice. I love hearing people's answers to this question because much like yours, I think a lot of it still resonates for me now. So I'm always like curious because I think that's good advice even for today. <laughs> <laughs> that That's very true. I think um, I'm one of those people, like I said, that's very, very self-critical. So for me, I always think of the 10 million things that could be a flaw or could go wrong before I actually think of the positive. And I've wasted so much time then thinking about it that I've actually not done it. 
So if mm-hmm. I'd just done it in the first place, I would have probably succeeded, but now I can't. So I think that's mm-hmm. the message for me that I would give to myself throughout my life that just go for it. That's a great one. I really like that. Well, we'll move to our last segment now. So in this third segment, we play some games. So now's the time to take the heat off of you now and we can just have some fun. Okay, relax, relax. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I start with like a rapid fire. And so I'll just ask you some questions and you can be as rapid or not as you want. No pressure. And so some of the questions will be about the show and then some just about you. Okay. All right. So for the rapid fire, my first question would be like, what's your favorite desi food? Chicken curry. Ooh, okay. What's your favorite recipe? Like, so something to make, and it doesn't have to be daisy necessarily. My grandmother's prawn curry. Mm, good one. Uh, what's the worst recipe you've ever made or like a recipe disaster that you've had? I once tried to make these melting moment scones and Mm. I just felt like it needed more baking powder and I put so much baking powder that they ended up bitter and literally Mm. like they were fizzing in your mouth um, and (laughs) I just had to throw the whole lot. (laughs) Like it was hilarious. (laughs) Um, So, and then we'll talk about the show a little bit. So I'd love to know like about your fellow contestants. Who was the messiest? I would say me, to be honest. Mm. I was really okay. messy. Like, genuinely, I think I was the <laughs> <Yeah>. messiest. <laughs> okay. Um, who was the loudest? Mirvan. He just doesn't <laughs> shut up. Like he's I believe perfect. that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who was the most frantic? It had to be Anaga. She's the um, lady mm. from San Francisco. Um, mm-hmm. So she was pretty frantic. <laughs> um, who was deliberate? Deliberate. In what way? With what? Uh, it could be in any way. I think, like, for you guys, like, definitely, like, plating and, and final, like, touches was a big thing. But, like, deliberate just in, like, systematic way could be as well, right? How organized or how systematic. I would say I was the most deliberate. I was very systematic with the way that I did things. A lot of people didn't understand what I was doing. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I think I would say you too. <laughs> Thank you. Who was the most stylish in whatever way you want to take that? (laughs) I want to say me too, like in a way, but actually (laughs) Sadaf, I'll say Sadaf because the stylist really did like style him well and he looked cool with his hat and his Mm. mustache and cute. He was very cute. Like, so yeah, Yeah. I'll say Sadaf. (laughs) Okay. Um, Who was the fastest? Mm, I would say Kirti. Kirti was Mm. pretty quick. She was quick. Interesting. And did you have a favorite judge? I did, yes. And it was Chef Gunal. Mm. Why? Because he was just so chill. Like, he was so Mm. chill. He would come to you even, like, kind of behind the scenes and take a look and pat you on the back. And his ethos to life is very chill. And I kind Mm. of really like that because I would resonate as a personality more towards what Chef Vigas is. So Mm. to kind of see the opposite was really, really nice. And that's why he was my favorite. Nice. Um, And you kind of answered this earlier, but I was wondering, like, your favorite contestant or or closest friend that you still have now? Oh, it has to be Sam and Mirvan. Um, Mm. I mean, I met Mirvan right now on the last season. We went for the grand finale episode together. Mm -hmm. So I think you'll notice on camera that you'll just see us consistently talking because we'd not seen each other for such such a long time. Um, But Mm. it's just those two, like they're friends for life. Like I can see them at every important moment, a wedding, anything in my life, like they'd be there. 
for sure. Oh, that's wonderful. I was actually, I saw that on your Insta that you had gone for the finale and I was kind of bummed because we finally saw it a few days later and I was like, oh, they didn't like show the nage or ask him anything. Like I was like <laughs> waiting for a moment where like at least the cut that they put on on the show, like it was like, oh, I was just waiting. So I saw glimpses of you guys, but it was great. To be honest, a friend of mine was taking the like reality bites there. Mm -hmm. And later he told me that the reason that they didn't put anything on was because I was being way too bitchy. So I took that (laughs) as the biggest compliment. And I was like, right, I'm really happy with that then. I I did my bit. I'm going to leave. What were you being bitchy about? Um, We had to taste the dishes. Um, So Uh they asked us what we thought. So I was honest. I think maybe a little too brutally honest, perhaps. But I'm never going to lie. So um, (laughs) I I don't think it was um, PC enough for um, the TV at the point. So let's let's put it that way. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love this. Okay, last question about this. This was not planned. But like, did you watch the current season or like the last season? I didn't know, if I'm honest. I saw bits of it. Oh, yeah. Out of the ones that you tasted, who do you think should have won? I genuinely think that Andrilla, who was second place, should have won. Okay. Interesting. Solely because um, her main course is something that inspired me. So Mm. that's solely why I thought it was amazing. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, we'll move to our second and final game, which is uh, something I love to play called the reality versus Instagram. So I find that uh, this season I wanted to take on a little bit of the social media aspect, too. And I find that a lot of uh, our guests are better at social media than I am in some ways or another. So I always love to ask a few questions about your social media habits. So this doesn't have to be rapid or or short at all, but I'll just ask a few questions about Instagram. So, for example, the first one is, how many takes would it take you to get the perfect selfie? Uh, I would say like 25, like at least. There'll be a ream (laughs) of pictures before I get the perfect selfie. And usually I can't take selfies. I'm very bad. So I have to get somebody else to do it the ones that of, of me by myself are really off chance ones that I've mm. noticed kind of 10 days later scrolling back through my library of pictures I never take selfies I'm really bad interesting okay do you have a go-to <laughs> filter I don't have a filter no I don't really edit my pictures much I kind of look for the perfect lighting because Mm. to be honest I'm really really not tech savvy or down with all these apps and stuff I don't even know like I discovered boomerang really late in life even you know (laughs) so um, filters for me need to be in real life like I rather have a real life filter than have like like one on the camera I don't actually have one okay (laughs) well do you have um, a favorite hashtag I do it chef life. <laughs> chef life. Ooh, that's a good Always one. Always chef life. Cool. As if I'm like working in a kitchen 24-7, which I'm <laughs> evidently not. Um, but yeah, I just like it. It's kind of like being a chef with swag, kind of. So yeah. like chef life, you know, <laughs> in a weird way. <laughs> yeah, it has like a little style to it. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> How many stories is too many? I find that people will like, especially if they go to like a concert or something, will like have like 20 stories. And by the third or fourth one, if I'm watching them, I'm like, okay, next. Um, so how many stories like is too many or how many would you watch before you swipe next? I can watch five, like that's enough for me. Mm. Past that, I'm like done. But I hate yeah. it if somebody goes to a concert and records a song and then doesn't finish it. Like you need to finish <laughs> that like verse 
Do you know what uh, I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, like it, it can just be a snippet. Yeah, yeah, like say it's a song that I really love, like it's a belter, you know, you really want to sing it and then like yeah. it's a really good scene and then you just cut off the end word and it irritates <laughs> me so much. So you have to complete things, but like five <laughs> is good for me. Like I think that's decent. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Five, five is good, but I a valid point about the songs. If you had to follow an account, would it be dogs, memes, or babies? Memes. Memes, okay. I can do without the latitude. Like, I just, I need <laughs> memes. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Uh, and the last one is, do you have a favorite account or person that you like to follow? Like, that you, like, follow religiously and see all their updates? I would say the one that I've been doing lately is actually Chef Vinit from the mm-hmm. last season, a judge from the last season of MasterChef, because I followed his career of, over the years before social media. So mm-hmm. um, I go to him a lot, but there is a cake artist called Toti Kanuchka, and mm-hmm. she's an Eastern European cake artist, and her cakes are literally beautiful. They are works of art, and I find the way that she does things so simple, clean, and inspiring that I could watch videos and tutorials of her cakes all day. So I think mm. those two, the cake one being the one that I go to the most, um, mm-hmm. Chef Vinit is a recent addition that I view a lot. Great. Well, that's all that I had in terms of in games and, and rapid fire. You did really well. I really thought this was this was going to be like a coffee with Karen. So I had like a bit of anxiety coming into it, but it Aww. was so bad. So <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> Someone last like last week uh, mentioned wanting a hamper for finishing this. And if I had one to give, I would give you the hamper. <laughs> okay, so maybe we need to kind of get together and I'll supply the mitai for your hamper and we can do some kind of social media vibe. That's, um, <laughs> that's a good kind of collaboration right oh my god i love this we will talk more offline about it i actually really <laughs> love that idea <laughs> that's so perfect. cool yeah i wish i could give an actual hamper i didn't realize that so many people like thought uh coffee with garden with rapid fire thought it was just me um <laughs> <laughs> i'm much less scandalous than that so Oh, really? This is where my anxiety came in, because I always thought you were going to ask these seedy questions about MasterChef. So like, okay, fair enough. I'm, I'm happy. I'm relaxed now. I can't, I don't need to anymore. <laughs> now I'm like, what seedy questions should I ask? <laughs> <laughs> next time, next time. Next time. Um, thank you so much, Zanish. That's all the questions I had for you. I really, really appreciate your time and, and being on Crane Desi uh, so much. I'm such a fan and I'm so glad I got to talk to you. Thank you so, so much, Bria. I really appreciate it. Like, you really, like, honoured me by doing all of this, honestly. And I just feel so happy that I get to be a part of this. It's the first kind of podcast I've ever done, and I'm glad it was with you. So thank you so much. Likewise, likewise. Thank you so much for doing it. And just for our listeners, if you can shout out, you know, uh, your, your social or your websites or anything where they can follow you and your future projects. Yep. So the best place to catch everything that I get up to pictures XYZ is my Instagram, which the handle is at Dinesh Patel dot OFC. And all of the details of upcoming projects and new websites, launches, venues, all that kind of stuff is all there. Thank you so much, Dinesh. Thank you again. And I'll keep you posted on when this will be out. But thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much, Bria. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Queering Daisy. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to rate and subscribe on iTunes to help us spread the word and to make sure you get the latest episodes right to your phone. 
You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Queering Daisy. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please feel free to reach us on social media or drop us an email at queeringdaisy at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.